What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer, and we're recording live here at the Barbican Cinema at the premiere of our very own film, 11 Years, The Rise of Fintech. Uh, can I get a hello from the audience? Just to prove that it's live, awesome, all right. Well, we've just told the story of how the EU created an ecosystem that is the envy of the world. We've heard from the leaders who shaped the policy, funded firms, changed the course of incumbent banks, and founded challenger banks and fintechs that are now becoming household names. Next, we'd like to talk about what happens in the next 11 years. Financial services is the UK, and more globally, has come so far since 2008, but what does the future look like from here onwards? So to drive this forward and look into their crystal balls, uh, we're bringing onto stage Eric van der Klein, who is the CEO and founder of Frontier Network, as well as the founder of Tech City, now Tech Nation, and Level 39. How's it going, Eric? Terrific, thank you. Great to be here. Congratulations, amazing film. One more round of applause. Yeah. I will let you drive this interview. No worries. I know, I've got some smart people here. I've been lucky if I can get a word in edgeways, so we'll go. Uh, next up, we have Ashok Vaswami, who is the Global Head of Consumer Banking and Payments at Barclays and former APAC CEO at Citibank. So, you know, back in the day of the crisis, we know where you were, Ashok. <laughs> I was enjoying myself. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be fun. All right. Next up, we have Anne Bowden, who is the CEO and founder of Starling Bank and former COO of AIB. How's it going, Anne? Very well indeed. I really enjoyed that. Well done, Laura. Specific shout out there for producer Laura. Well done, Laura. Okay. All right. And last but definitely no means least, we have Nick Ogden, who is founder of the brand new RTGS Global, as well as founder of ClearBank WorldPay. And he tells me the father of e-commerce as well. So pretty busy guy. Uh, I mean, uh, you paid me nicely to say that, Nick. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us, Nick. How's it going? It's going well, thank you. Great Good. audience. Great audience. It's been, uh, it's been good. It's been good fun, I have to say. There's been, been a, a very uh, decent vibe going on. So um, what we're going to be doing is diving into a little bit about what you guys think the next 11 years is going to really sort of look like. So um, I guess sort of starting with, uh, I mean, what's your key takeaways from the film? You know, how has this gone? Are we just getting started or is it sort of, uh, are we, are we mid-cycle? What do you think? Well, you so, said, sorry. go ahead. Yeah, I'm so excited. You know, yeah. I, I listened to that and the, and, and the first, you know, sort of, quarter an hour or so were reminiscent of what really happened and, and it was scary and it was sad and did we have to make all those sort of mistakes but the last 20 minutes you know it's all going to happen we're looking forward it's very positive we in London have changed an industry um and we're up there and we have the start of this journey not the end Agree, yeah. So, I mean, Eric and Ashrock, we heard from you in the movie. Nick, I tried to get you in. I think you were flying around the world doing various things. But, sure. I mean, where, where were you 11 years ago? Um, interestingly, I was in Iceland. Wow. Um, the, 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 somebody had to be there. It, what, what um, the, the supermarket or...? Uh... No, 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 no. no the, the, the little rock where they invented this thing called Ice Save, which okay. cost a lot of UK yeah. investors a lot of money. And I'd gone up there, we flew up on the Sunday for a meeting with Visa um, in uh, Iceland and we were on a plane with a lot of journalists and a lot of cameras and a lot of people speculating as to what was going to happen. And the next morning we went and started our meeting and um, during the course of the morning the Icelandic people were being fed post-it notes during the course of what was clearly a lot of challenges going on outside the meeting. 
And we had some lunch and they said, look, guys, I'm sorry, we've got to wrap up this meeting. Um, we have some serious issues. We knew there were some serious issues. And they said, look, will you please go back to your hotel? Um, we may see you for tonight <coughs> for dinner if there are any restaurants open. Um, and the Prime Minister, Gert Herder, is going to address the nation at four o'clock. And for those of you who were around when Princess Diana died, you know the mood that sort of sank across our nation. Um, it was almost like a retake of that. So we went back to, we were staying at the Radisson uh, Blue in downtown Reykjavik. And we went back there and we, we had nothing to do and nothing was open. And so we went to the bar to listen to the speech by the, the Premier, Gert Herder, um, who unfortunately spoke in Icelandic, of which we understood not one thing. But the young lad who'd served us breakfast that morning was standing next to us watching this show on TV, this presentation on TV. And the tears were running down his face. And I said to him, I said, you know, is everything okay? Do you want to sit down? Do you want a glass of water? What's happening? He said, you know, he said, I've always thought I've done the right things in life. He said, I've just spent the last year working really hard in this hotel, doing all the shit jobs that you do in a hotel to earn enough money to pay to go to university. And tomorrow, I was going to go to Landsbanki and I was going to convert my Icelandic money to euros to pay my university fees. And I now haven't got enough money and I haven't done anything wrong. Mm. That was the impact of the global financial crisis for many, many people around the world, which we missed. Yeah. I, th I think that's that's really true. I think the amount of human impact of yeah. that back in, you know, it seems like a <clears throat> distant memory, but it is. There's been so many people touched by it. Yeah. You know, Eric, I know you said in, in the documentary, actually, yeah. it wasn't just uh, people who worked in banks directly, but actually all the way through the value chain there of, uh, you know, shop make, you know, people in shops or people all the way through the process. So, I mean, very few people sort of tell that story, I guess. And it's probably worth looking at actually what the government did then, mm -hmm. because they actually th saw that, yes, of course, you had all the fiscal stimulation that had to take place, but what they did was, I think, quite smart. Yes, of course, they put in all the right regulations to make sure that the same things didn't happen again, but that also created an opportunity, because the only way that the banks could meet those regulations was through technology, right? There was no way they could hire tens of thousands of people to do the kind of KYC checks and everything that's necessary to prevent that kind mm. of thing, or, or risk platforms. So that's part of what created the opportunity. And I think one of the interesting things was that the European Union had started looking at competition back in 2005. They'd already decided that the big banks had had the game too good for too long, and they started putting together the concept of PSD which came into force in 2009, I think October 2009, when, when the first firms were getting authorised. We were one of the first firms in the UK to get that. And so what you had was a, um, a, a government approach to try and create a change in competition markets. And they hadn't ever thought that the global financial crisis would happen. And then you ended up with a perfect storm because you had the political will to change the market and create competition. But the main suppliers of access to markets constrained through the global financial crisis. Mm. And so everything, all, everything that was well-intentioned 
then got stopped and braked on. And then it required the regulators 2011, 2012, 2013 to sort of turn around and say, look, hell, how do we do this? How do we re-energize the economy back to what we thought we were going to do when we sat down in 2005 and said, let's create competition? How do we really turn around and shake that up? And I look at the last five years as being really fundamental in relation to the building blocks for the market opportunity that we can see going forward having been put in place mm. very, very firmly with the support of the, you know, the, the um, uh, PRA and the FCA and the payment service regulator. It's, it's... I, I think we had two phases, you know. So I think 2006, 2007 uh, was all about the run-up to the payment service directive. And there was a lot of um, activity across Europe to bring the e-money licenses to the fore. And in London, we grasped that opportunity and made it happen. Mm -hmm. And that was the first sort of cycle of innovation. Mm -hmm. Then we had the financial crisis. And, um, and the main reason that uh, the, um, the FSA at the time in March 2013 um, brought in the new regulations for bank authorization was that banks were pushed together, crammed together post-crisis. Mm. All of a sudden, we didn't have enough banks to compete against each other. Mm. So we had to bring in new banks. Yep. And from um, March 2013 to when I started Starling 2014 was the period where people started thinking about um, what could be done to bring new banks to market. Yeah. And, you know, referring back to the film, where sometime in June um, 2014, I met Jason. Hi, Jason, at the back there. Um, you know, what happened? What would have happened if Jason had said no? None of this would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jason. <laughs> Come and take a bow. Come on, Jason. You take I, I, don't, I don't think we need to make Jason's ego any bigger. <laughs> If, if the lesson is anything, ladies and gentlemen, is listen to LinkedIn messages. If, uh, <laughs> um, but, but I guess, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to talk to you. You know, you four have been so instrumental, I think, from different angles of actually the ecosystem that we have today. Um, you know, I think the, the, the London ecosystem is such a Maybe. envy of the world. Uh, and that's not a single force. So I don't think it's purely regulation. I don't think it's purely big organizations. I don't think it's purely startups or uh, big you know, tech firms kind of creating, uh, creating everything around it. But I, but I guess, I mean, how much does that weigh with you guys in terms of your particular role within it? Maybe Ashrock sort of starting with you on that one, because I mean, the, the role within this of the pressure that comes from new challenges outside of the traditional, how, how has that been within a big organization? Yeah, so a couple of perspectives. The first thing is, uh, you know, uh, I've worked in Barclays now for about nine years, but Barclays is 328 years old. Uh, you know, Barclays makes the United States a teenager. <laughs> uh, by the way, Barclays was, you know, formed before uh, the Bank of England. And so when I sit at Barclays today and I think about it and I say, you know, changes in our DNA. We've been changing for the last 328 years. We'll continue to change. We'll continue to adapt. We've seen everything there is and we'll see more. Uh, but it does put a lot of personal responsibility because today there's a group of us sitting there who have to define what that change has to be. So that does put a kind of extraordinary kind of pressure because it's really a legacy, it's really, you know, an iconic brand, British brand that you're kind of dealing with. And I think, and that's what makes me at least paranoid about everything around me, right? 
And I think that's a good thing because uh, I think it keeps us humble, it keeps us nimble, uh, and we've been on this journey. And what I completely agree with is I think it's only 1% done. I think there's much, much more to come. And I think each one is going to play to their own strengths. I think we've got to be really, really careful about drinking our Kool-Aid uh, around London. I mean, I kind of see the stuff that's going on, in, for example, in China. I see what's happening in South Korea. I see what's happening in Tel Aviv. I see what's happening in India. I see what's happening in the United States. Oh my God, look at what's happening in Scandinavia. And you know, wherever you go, the rate of change is incredibly fast. Mm. And therefore, I think I agree with your point, David, that there is not one single kind of driver. I, I struggled, struggled with the fact that if we think that financial crisis led to banks developing technology, I think there were two independent decisions. I'm more in his camp, which said it was a perfect storm, mm. right? Uh, but technology was happening anyway. Mm. Technology was happening anyway. And by the way, you know, all of us are talking about retail. You know, the things that we were talking about at the end of the film around, you know, finance becoming invisible, finance becoming pipes. By the way, that's what's happened to capital markets in a long time, mm. right? And we just got to learn how to live around that. And I think there are lots of lessons to be learned around. Yeah. Uh, but it's extremely exciting, extremely challenging, and extremely scary. Yeah. I, I, was, I was a banker during the financial crisis. So I was actually working for a bank. And I remember, you know, sort of coming out of the office and, you know, taking a taxi and, and, and pretending I wasn't a banker. Mm. I was really, really ashamed. I felt that we were responsible for a lot of heartache. And I'd become a banker because I wanted to use technology to now enable people to manage their money and have better financial lives. And what we had inadvertently done was to wreck economies. And I spent, you know, 2011, 2012, going around the world talking to people. And I actually registered and trademarked the phrase social fintech. Because I had an idea that fintech and social were all brewing up and could be very interesting. Um, and I went around the world and talked to people um, in big banks about how they were going to put right what they had done wrong. And I felt very, very responsible. Um, and I took the opportunity when somebody rang me up to join Allied Irish Banks as their chief operating officer to return the bank to profitability after taking a huge um, bailout. You know, AIB was a um, big bank in a small country that had gone through such pain and it caused the population of Ireland mm. such pain. They reduced Social Security, they reduced people had been made redundant. And I spent 18 months there really struggling to figure out what we could do to change things. And I came to the conclusion that the only way to do something radically different that was going to change things um, permanently, that was going to take market share from the big competing banks that I'd worked for all my career, was to quit my job and start a new bank. Mm. And, um, you know, at that time, we didn't know of anybody else that, think, you know, that was trying to do the same thing. But I think we're at the start of a process we're only a few years into this. When we look forward to 20 years' time, 
I think that lots of things are going to change. Not all the big banks will have survived. Some would have morphed into something different. Value chains would have broken up. It may be open banking, it may be something else. Um, but I think we're looking forward to a world where technology enables, we have fairer systems, and we're fundamentally doing the right thing. And once again, I can be proud to be a banker. So, I mean, I'm definitely with you on that one. For about two years, I was at Lloyd's Banking Group. I told everybody I was in IT. Yeah. They're like taxi yeah. drivers, anybody, just for a period of time, you know. It was easier, you know. Yeah, so, easier. These are uh, having the lecture. But, but I guess, I mean, you're, you're definitely not just thinking about retail banking. You know, you're no. looking at commercial banking, bank as a service, all of these different types of things. Yeah. Um, your move is to essentially be in a situation where you can, uh, I guess, take market share from those incumbent organisations as well. Um, what sort of do you think has led to the UK being such a positive cycle for that? Because, I mean, at the end of this, it requires customers to adopt new things. Mm. And actually, they seem to be able to do that in droves in the UK. Yeah, I think this whole wave has taken off and has been embraced in the UK. I think timing is right. Mm. Um, I don't think we could have done it, say, um, five years earlier, right in the middle of the crisis. I think we had the right people... Um, who had been bruised by the financial crisis, who realised that something had to be done. Um, and when I started pulling teams together to, to build Starling, we, like minds came together because it was possible to change things. Mm. Technology all of a sudden was able to... Um, well, for example, I managed hundreds of millions of technology budget in the big banks and couldn't deliver much. Mm. However, using cloud technologies, using new methodologies, having a different mindset, all of a sudden we were building things fast um, and really um, using um, techniques that had never been done before. And we weren't afraid. Mm. Um, in the big banks, I know that the big challenges they had were basically taking systems and migrating to new platforms or doing integrations. And that is very <coughs> risky. And the problem is that because we have things like SMR and various regulations where we hold bankers personally accountable for mistakes, people in the big banks have become more averse mm. to change. Yeah, and therefore, you know... It so thinks I'm quite pleased I'm not a banker then, because I'm a plumber. Okay. <laughs> right, sitting between two eminent bankers. Because actually what we needed to do, Anne, was, yeah, you can go and compete and whatever, and I'm still waiting for a challenger bank that has a business model that's not a me too. What we needed to do was fundally, fundamentally address the market, all right, and look at the way the plumbing worked, look at the way that access to payment systems worked, look at the way that fintechs in this, bill, in this room, banks, small challenger banks, could get access to markets and technologies and systems so they could start to create competitive products to the existing banks. And so when we put ClearBank together in 2014, our approach to market was to put together a bank that was unique globally, which remains unique globally today, because we're the only bank in the world that can repay all of its customers on demand, save for, of course, the central bank, which we are not. And one of the reasons for doing that was to make sure that we could ensure that the liquidity of our customers in relation to managing the customer bases that they had were able to make payments between themselves. 
Last week, we announced the, a, a new development in, in relation to uh, our RTGS Global Initiative, which is a global initiative which we're working with central banks around the world on. And that's to deal with something called liquidity. Because believe it or not, post the global financial crisis, which is 11 years ago, all right, liquidity, interbank liquidity is still invisible. Banks rely upon trust between themselves in relation to knowledge of the interbank liquidity. That is now going to start to change. And the benefit of that change means that for fintechs, new organisations getting connected to the payment rails via Starling, Rails Bank, any of the other banks that are providing these services, all right, will start to have a much more stable, less risky environment to operate in where the, the potential of a global financial crisis triggered by lack of liquidity could arise in the future. Mm. So I think we're living in a really interesting time where, as I said earlier, the foundation layers have been laid. And now, now is the opportunity to develop. There's an old saying, if you go to Harvard, who's been to Harvard? Yeah, right. What's the plaque in Harvard say? Don't remember. The pioneers get the arrows, the settlers get the land. We're just moving into settling land time, guys and girls. I mean, it's, it's exciting because, it. as you say, it's, it's sort of all the way through the stack to a certain yeah. degree, whether it's customer-facing, whether it's in the plumbing. But I think all of this sits on a, a basis of regulation, Eric. You know, actually, the, the changes that we saw way back when, you know, I'd say, you know, people like Harriet Baldwin making sort of bold decisions to push for a competition mandate. Yep. Um, it's sort of, the, there are a lot of, I think, unsung heroes from, from that period of time. That uh, there are, and actually you, uh, even one of them, uh, you, you had Imran Ghulam Hussain yep. Wallah. Is, is Imran here? No, I don't think he is. Um, the work that he's doing in the Open Banking API initiative mm -hmm. is yet another yep. regulatory-driven initiative that will enable a whole raft, and is enabling a whole raft of Anne Bowdens to decide to leave her job and create an amazing uh, um, opportunity. So what are the ingredients that allowed the last 11 years to happen? It was that the regulator has these two roles, really unusually in the UK, isn't it? Quite unusual. Yeah. Yes, it has to protect, but it also has to encourage the safe development of the industry. Mm. That's a terrific dual role. Where's David Birch? Dave Birch. Right, David, we heard David Birch has one and a half million pounds in his back pocket to issue out, not tonight, unfortunately, can't <laughs> right, in relation to a Nestor initiative right, to promote retail finance initiatives. So if you guys didn't know about that, Ghost he's Dave. sitting up there oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, with his checkbook in his back pocket. <laughs> he, he's saying it's Bitcoin only, which <laughs> essentially is worthless, I'm, uh, I'm told. So. But I want to say one other thing about the entrepreneurs, because... Think about what happens when someone decides to become an entrepreneur, okay? They leave their job. They cut themselves off from income. And they don't eat again until they build something that someone will pay for, mm. that they can pay their team and make a profit, right? Think about that. So that's why we focus at Level 39 in the Frontier on supporting the entrepreneur. And I see some of you here that are mentors as well, which is terrific because you know, the support that you give those young companies, please give them your time because that's a crucial ingredient mm. behind ensuring the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So, so that people like Anne, and Nick effortlessly makes, you know, billion dollar startups, it's your job, I Sorry. suppose. Um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's the society is telling us mm. that it is okay to do that. And I love your sense of social, it's a bit like guilt 
that yeah, you had, yeah. that you were part of the, the problem. I didn't know about you trademarking that uh, social fintech. Have you still got it? Yeah. Well, let's use it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I think it's a, an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, again, it's like all the way through, I mean, all the way through the panel, different types of parts of the industry are doing different things mm -hmm. for the community, whether it's investing in elements, whether it's building new things, whether it's, I mean, speaking at universities like I did with some of your colleagues. Yeah. You know, yeah. Actually, you know, it does feel like the community and everything that's happened here in, in London, I think particularly, and, and Asher, I, I, I think having spent a lot of time in other places, I think it is unique here because yeah. of those different elements that are in such close proximity. But I guess with everything that's happening and looking forward, yeah. I mean, how do we protect that or how do we continue to sort of grow it? Because, I mean, with any ecosystem, it's under threat potentially. You know, what's happening with Brexit and everything that's sort of coming forwards. I mean, how do we continue to evolve this and, and, and grow it? And what, I don't know. Yeah, I think we need to continue to put all the energy into it. And I think we've got um, generations of, of businesses coming to market um, and... I think we have to assume that next 10 years is going to be very different from where we are now. <clears throat> I think that we are going to have um, a reconfiguration of the value, system, value chain. I think some of the big banks will stop doing some things. I think not all the banks will invest in all the things they need to do to revitalise their, their, their infrastructure. I think there will be um, new banks becoming big banks. I think it will not, um, I think there will be new business models and we've yet to see those new business models. Mm. I know what they are. Mm. Are you going to share it or is that? Sure, if you're interested. Is uh, that thing? Uh, I think... Um, Part two of the documentary but, will... Yeah. <laughs> well, it's my job. It's now chargeable. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So uh, in our hub, we have activists uh, planning with whiteboards mm -hmm. uh, something called DeFi. And I bet you as we sit here in 11 years' time that we will be talking about the DeFi, um, you know, unicorns that have emerged here. These are people that genuinely believe it's possible to recreate quite a lot of the financial services sector yeah. fully decentralized. I mean, this just tends to... With lots of nods. I want to... Okay, there, no, okay. There, there but let's no go back to where... No bank in the world. No bank in the world that offers its customer service level agreements in relation to what the services it provides. That's a massive opportunity for change. Hmm. And when I was saying about, you know, no, no, banks not moving forward and whatever, there's some really fundamental things that can still get done that are relatively simple to transform the way that we engage with customers and deliver services to them. Absolutely. But 11 years ago, some of the biggest banks in the world were sort of, um, were headquarters in the UK. You know, um, and some of those have done very, very badly since, since the crisis. But London was the home for very, very big banks. Mm. And I think we're going to look at a future where the big new banks we have at the moment could become global players. Mm. You know, the Starlings, the Monzos, you know, the Oak Norths. Do you think regulation will keep up with that? Truly global regulation? I think it's going to be a challenge, but I think Sorry, that if you see across the world at the moment, the number of people that actually phone us up and say, you know, we're a regulator from so-and-so, can we come and talk to you? Mm. We want to see how we are creating value for customers and businesses in the UK that's changing an industry, mm, yeah. right? 
we, we look back and there's been a huge amount in the last 11 years. Mm. Yeah, but um, the, the, and I think and it will continue. This week, this week, the ECB has slowed down all British firm applications processing through Dublin, France and other European jurisdictions in relation to licence applications because of Brexit. All right, we, Brexit was mentioned briefly on here. Mm-hmm. We live in a very, very uncertain time. A very uncertain time. And I think that, you know, depending upon the outcome of the next year, you know, it's not long to Halloween, is it? Right, depending upon the outcome of that, we could be living in a very, very diff- different and difficult world for things to get sorted out. But I also think that's the opportunity, as I hinted at, because yeah, the UK has yet to flex its policy-making, independent policy-making muscle. Of course, the trick is the UK needs to do that in a way that favours the UK without triggering a trade war of some kind, especially a digital trade war. The um, PRA and the FCA already, I mean, last year, basically said they would accept inbound passporting and they got nothing back. Nothing back. Mm. Yeah. All right. And now we've, you know, heading towards the wall. I think I'm, I'm worried on the outcome of Halloween being the thing we're all resting our uh, hopes <laughs> Do we have another so. party, David? Uh, can, we, can, we, can we should have another party Definitely somewhere? will, yeah. Okay. Coming as good. Boris. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, OK. <laughs> Ashok, he needs what, to go and what, get a suntan. What, what do you think? <laughs> where, are we, where are we going next? So, look, I, uh, London has been the global financial centre for, I don't know, the better part of five or six uh, centuries, and I think I think that'll continue. I think I think it's in all our interest to make sure that it continues that way. And I don't think one constituent or or uh, one stakeholder can drive it. I think it has to be the combined effort of the regulators, of the industry, uh, of the government. Uh, financial services is a very important uh, contributor to the UK economy. We cannot afford the financial services sector. And the financial services sector, to Anne's point, will change, will morph, that will happen. But overall, the financial services sector must continue uh, to remain robust because I think the economy depends very heavily on it. Mm. And, I, and I guess, I mean, to the top where, you know, from Nick's point, the, the real people who were most impacted this, by this were the customers. I mean, 11 years on since the crisis, do you guys think we're in a better situation for, for customers? I mean, I personally... Yeah believe we are. I think we're in a, a place where we have uh, competition, not just choice. Mm-hmm. And that can only be good for the market. We're seeing big incumbent organizations changing rapidly to, to deliver services to people. We're seeing regulators keeping up. We're seeing new players coming in. We're seeing technology plays coming in and changing how those things work. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Are, are we in a better place? Than we, we, we still have problems to solve. I yeah. mean, um, if you're a company in, uh, Lawrence is involved in digital assets, right? And helping that industry prosper and thrive. That's another one of the big sectors, right? But it's very hard to bank that sector at the moment. Yep. You know, so it takes people like Nick to start, you know, banks that might consider that. You know, that that's that's sadly we do. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think I think you've got to be thrilled that we've created, you know, um, you know, Stalin Bank. I'm also thrilled that we created this ecosystem. I'm thrilled by the part that we we have now, even our own consultancies and the whole industry that's getting together to change things for the better for businesses, for retail customers, um, and provide other services. This is unique. We've sort of, well, we've started something and we should not back down because of Brexit, Mm. right? We can survive it, we can overcome it, and we will get even better when people put challenges in our our path. Agree. Exactly. It makes us more 
Uh, very entrepreneurial, more likely to respond to it. It's a very entrepreneurial moment for the whole of the UK. Agree. Ash, So, I mean, leave aside Brexit. Brexit is, you know, <laughs> uh, it is what it is and we'll see. I don't think it's going to, either which way, it's not going to completely change the world, right? Uh, they've been, they, these are periods of history and I think we'll kind of live through that. But I think what we got, uh, I, think, I think from a financial industry crisis and are we better prepared for that, I definitely think the regulator is much more uh, awake, alive, conscious of what is going on, no doubt about it. Uh, from everything it looks, the financial services industry is very robust. Uh, the level of capital uh, in the banking industry, overall the liquidity in the industry overall, uh, the level of innovation in the industry overall uh, seems kind, kind of positive. The kind of end impact for customer seems pretty positive. I think competition has driven a good outcome for the customer. But there's also, uh, you know, the uh, unintended consequences, which we've got to be really, really careful of. Mm -hmm. And I think it is all, it is these kind of conversations that we've got to keep going. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, for example, just, I'll give you one, I'll give you two examples, right? Just look at what's happened to uh, investments, right? Every single big bank walked out of investment product sales uh, four or five or six years ago, right? Not a single big bank does it, not a single uh, uh, kind of startup is doing it with any kind of advice. Right, you can do execution only, a lot of people getting into execution, but who's that person who can, you can talk to in an easy fashion and say, I can solve an investment problem? Mm. That's a big issue. Yeah. You know, we all talk about digital and we all talk about digital customer journeys and how digital is great. Now, what happens to the people who can't get onto digital, right? And how many people are we leaving behind because of that, mm. right? And those are the kinds of things, right? The unintended consequences of some of the actions that we're taking. Uh, you know, we don't want to sit five years later, at least I don't want to sit five years later and say, oh my God, how stupid was I because I missed that thing, right? And I think that's what we all have to kind of worry about. We can't drink too much of our Kool-Aid too quickly. All right, well, we'll leave the Kool-Aid for the after party, but uh, on that note, we Let's better... Let's go drinking. It is. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we better wrap up because um, it was uh, plenty of good drinking time to be done. Okay, so that wraps up the, the panel. So give us a round of applause. Thank you so much to my guests, Eric, Ashok, Anne, and Nick. And thank you to the live audience as well. Thank you to everybody listening to this podcast. Please follow us on social media and head over to 11years.film to catch the film. Thank you very much.